So we're sitting in staff meeting Tuesday, and uh, I look over at Lisa and I said, so now the choir has the all sing Sunday night, right? Yes. Now, if there's anything you need the rest of the staff to do to help, just let us know. She said, we want you to speak. And so I was sucking wind for just a little bit, and then I got to thinking about what had happened uh, with the choir not too many months ago when they made a decision to go outside our walls and to sing for the Lord down at the Federal Correctional Facility down in Fort City. And during our visits there, we visited on two different occasions of this group behind me were used by God to bless uh, groups of men who are spending much of their lives without freedom. And yet some of those men know Jesus and they know Christ and they are experiencing freedom even though physically they don't. In fact, after the visit of the choir uh, back in May, uh, one of the men wrote me a letter in July and I can't read the whole thing, time wouldn't permit that. But he said, I wanted to send you a letter of appreciation for having the wonderfully talented choir from Wynn Baptist. Amen? Amen. Amen. And uh, he said to come to the federal prison complex in Forest City recently. Wow, what a group singing praises to our Lord and Savior, placing a song in our hearts, and taking our minds away from this place for a period of time. And he says some other things, and he says, certainly... Everyone fortunate enough to be able to attend that night received a blessing and song through the music ministry of your church. And then he went on and said, your opening statements and prayer were very special. You addressed us as your brothers in Christ, which is what we are. I never imagined finding myself in such a place. And I know it is but for a season, but many times the days can be very long and lonely. For that time during the concert, we were able to have contact with the outside world in a personal way. I believe many inmates worry about how they will be accepted by society when their time is complete. I guess all of us would hope to be accepted in the way that you made us feel that evening. Thank you. And he was speaking of the choir when he wrote those words. Amen. Amen. You know, so much of what we do in most of our churches in Cross County, across the United States, it's not unique to us. We tend to spend most of our time most of our resources, most of our funds, most of our gifts, where? Right here. Right here. And you know, I believe God's called us to invest way beyond our walls, to take these things that you and I take for granted, these gifts and these blessings, and use them to bless the world and to bless them with good news in the process. And so as God leads, we're looking for opportunities like that, and our choir has led the way in the many respects in doing this recently. When we were together down there, I uh, was led to share a, from a passage of Scripture in 2 Samuel 6, and I want to do that tonight. It's actually the very first passage that we, I preached here four years ago around Thanksgiving time, very first visit to Win Baptist Church. And it's the story of King David when he had defeated most of the enemies of Israel, and he is bringing the Ark of the Covenant from a man's house where it sat for some 25 years. And he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And in the process of doing that, they had put the Ark of the Covenant on an ox cart. You remember that? And that was not the way it was supposed to be carried, y'all. It was supposed to be carried on poles and the shoulders of men. But they put it on a cart. 
and it hit a bump in the road and that cart began to slide off the back. And a man uh, doing what any one of us would do to avert catastrophe, a man named Uzzah put his hand up to stop the, the ark from sliding off the back. He just put his hand up there. And when he did, when he touched the ark, he dropped dead to the ground. What he had done, even unknowingly, was show gross <coughs> irreverence to something that symbolized the presence of God. David was, was absolutely devastated. He was actually angry, and he went back to the religious leaders and said, what did we do wrong? And they figured it out. And meanwhile, something unusual was happening. In 2 Samuel 6, verse 12, it says, Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom. That's where they had left it. And all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so now he's doing it a second time. This time they're doing it properly. And David, it says, is doing it with gladness. And it's a remarkable depiction of what happens to people in the presence of God. Because whenever he makes himself known in Scripture, it affects us. It affects us. It goes on in verse 13 and says, And so it was, when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Every six steps. Then David, it says, danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord, was shouting, and with the sound of the trumpet. Dancing. Now, I know when you came tonight <laughs> that you did not anticipate that a Baptist minister would talk to you about dancing. But it's one of the things that might happen to you in the presence of God. When he draws near and as you experience something of his glory, something of his eternity, something of his beauty, something of his majesty, when you begin to physically consciously, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually experience the presence of God, you might begin to dance. And so people react to the presence of God in different ways. And like David, some people react by dancing. And so it gives us an opportunity to look at somebody closely who is experiencing the presence of God. And when we do that, it helps you and I better understand what worship is really all about. Because worship, in its purest form, has nothing to do with many of the things that you and I believe worship is about. I don't know what you think it's about, but I could take some guesses. Worship for you might be, let's go to worship, right? It may be a service that you attend where there is singing and preaching and that sort of thing. Let's go to worship. For others of you, worship may be singing praises, it may be singing, the act of singing. And certainly worship can be included in that, but worship is so much more fundamentally not about singing by itself. It's more than that. And we see this in the life of David. So for the very first time, the ark of God, which represented the very presence of God, is being brought to the city of God, and David is out of his mind. Because at this moment, this ark which it was believed the presence of God stayed with it all the time. Apparently, God was manifesting his presence. And David was dancing, it says, with all of his might. 
Now, what was the heart of that? Well, you know, God's presence affects us in different ways. One way we know uh, that his presence affects us, and there's many ways, but one way we know, for example, is joy. It's not the only way. There's also deep conviction that can happen in the presence of God. When a holy God draws near and I'm not holy, I can feel great conviction. But one of the things I can experience is great joy. For example, the last verse of Psalm 16 says this. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand pleasures forevermore. And so in eternity, as we experience the presence of God and liberty from sin, we will experience the pleasures of God. Joy. Joy. Well, that certainly was happening to David. But what is the essence of worship? What is worship? That a, a way of understanding it that you and I can take out of here tonight and practice every hour till we go to bed and practice every hour when we get up tomorrow. What is the essence of worship? Well, we get a clue when we begin to take the words for worship in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we begin to look them up for their original meaning in the Hebrew language in the Old Testament or the Greek language in the New Testament. For example, there's a common thread that runs through every one of these words for worship. For example, in Exodus 7, you remember that God told Moses to go to Pharaoh and say these words. Let my people go that they may worship me or serve me. But it's the word translated worship. Now, what is that word? What does it mean? Well, the word that's used there is shakah. Shakah. One of the more common words for worship in the Old Testament. And it means this. And this, this begins to help us understand what worship is. Shakah is this. It means to bend at the waist and to show great honor, deference, uh, respect, submission to someone of great authority. Shakah. Let my people go. Why? That they may shakah me. When you go to the New Testament, the same thing happens. You go to Luke 4, for example, during the temptation of the Lord Jesus by the devil. The devil uses a word for worship. He says, look, I'm showing you all the kingdoms of the world, and if you will worship me, I will give them to you. That tells you how valuable worship is to the devil. I mean, right away we see how valuable it is. We talked this morning about a time coming when you and I will be tested. One of the greatest tests in history will be the Antichrist when he rises up and demands that all the world worship him. I mean, worship is valuable. And it's so valuable to the enemy that he would counterfeit it, distract you from it, and do anything he can to keep you from really worshiping God. But here's what he does. He comes to Jesus, the Son of God. He says, here are the kingdoms of the world. I will give them to you if you will worship me. Now, what's the word that he uses there? Well, it's a Greek word, proskuneo. Proskuneo. Let me show you what proskuneo looks like. Okay? And you know, I'm 55 years old. Proskuneo. <laughs> Proskuneo's harder than Chaka. Watch. <laughs> here's here's proskuneo. Proskuneo. And it means to lie prostrate before someone of great authority and dignity. And it's actually two words combined in the Greek. The first word is pros, which means towards. The second word is kuneo, which means to kiss. You like that? 
means to kiss. And so to lie prostrate is to lead with the lips, where the lips are leading the way. Well, the only way your lips can lead the way is if you're lying flat on the ground. And, and, and so the devil is saying, this is worship, to lie down, to lower yourself, to humble yourself before me. Suddenly we begin to get the idea of what worship is. Worship is an inward bowing down to God in every area of life. Yielding to God my work. Yielding to God my reactions. Yielding to God my money. Yielding to God my time. Yielding to God my heart. Yielding to God everything that I am. Everything that I'm about. That is worship. That's the heart of worship. And so because of that, it's possible to sing, for example, which is what most of us default to when we think of worship. It's possible to sing and not worship. It's possible to sing and not be yielding your heart and bowing your heart to the Lord. I can't judge you and tell if you're worshiping or not, but I can know if I'm worshiping or not. And it's whether my heart is yielding everything to him. So some people react to the presence of God with worship, and in David's case, we see it manifested as dancing. But there's another response to the presence of God. This one we need to see. It says in verse 16, Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, that was David's wife, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Now, David is experiencing the presence of God. She is not. In fact, she's observing worship without experiencing worship. The Bible says she's looking through a window, but she's not down in the street. She sees what David is doing, but she's not responding to the presence of God. She's responding to the worship of an individual, and it bothers her. In fact, immediately she's repulsed by it. Says so she despised him in her heart. And so she is a non-worshipper. She's a spectator. She's watching somebody else worship. She's watching someone else give their heart to God. And she doesn't want anything to do with it. She despises him in her heart because it looks threatening to herself. And who she is. She doesn't want anything to do with it. Well, that looks embarrassing. That looks like a lowering of self. And in fact, it is. It goes on to say in verse, uh, verse 20, as David returned to bless his household, the day is over. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how glorious was the king of Israel today. She's not serious. In the eyes of the maids, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. You can just hear the criticism. You can hear the sarcasm just dripping off of her words. Genuine worship is going to draw some people. Others, it's going to drive away. It was threatening. Instead of acting like a king, he took off his royal robes and danced just like an ordinary person. Just like anybody else. <laughs> he bowed himself before the Lord. 
And so you see two different ways that we can respond to the presence of God. Some of us say, that looks like death to me. It looks like I'm going to embarrass myself. It looks like I'm going to humiliate myself. I don't want anything to do with it. And we can become critical of people who are trusting and living out their faith for God. We can say, those people are over the top. They're too serious. They're too involved. They're fanatics. Then you have people like David that are just dancing in the street. (laughs) And they just love the Lord. And they're yielding their heart him well we can't talk about worship without asking the obvious question are you dancing tonight or are you watching through a window are you dancing tonight or are you watching through a window as David responds to Michael listen to what he says to her he says so David said to Michael verse 21 it was before the Lord Those are the first words out of his mouth. She's critical of him, and he says, Michael, you don't understand, sweetheart. Michael, it wasn't about the servant girls. The Bible tells us in verse 1 of the chapter that there were 30,000 men in the street with David. Just men. We don't know how many women and children were involved, but we know there were 30,000 men. And Michael, it wasn't about the 30,000 men. It wasn't about all the people that were out there in the street watching me dance before the Lord. It wasn't about any of that. You don't understand, sister. It was before the Lord. It was before the Lord. Literally, those words mean it was before the face of God. He was the only one who had my heart. He was the only one who had my attention at that moment. It wasn't about anybody else. I lost myself in Him. And your worship becomes real when there's only one person that you're focused on. One person that you want to please. One person who has to be happy with you. And you lose yourself in him. He goes on and says it's before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel therefore I will play music literally celebrate before the Lord God is doing something in his life God's done something amazing taking the youngest boy in a very large family a shepherd boy he was a nobody never gonna be anything and he took David and he made him a king you know the truth is every one of us here before we knew Jesus those of us that know him tonight before we knew Jesus we were in darkness we were cut off from the life of God Sin condemned us to hell. We would have spent all eternity without God. And God took you and me, and he made us sons and daughters of his own. And when you and I experience the activity of God in our soul, when we recognize what he's doing, what he's done for us, we begin to worship. And then he says in verse 22, and I love this, and I will be even more undignified than this. You just think it's bad now. (laughs) Michael, it's all downhill from here. You think I was embarrassing today. He says, it will be humble in my own sight. I'm even going to embarrass me. Can't believe I did that. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. 
When you and I genuinely worship the Lord, whether you're a mom or a dad, a brother, a sister, a grandparent, when you genuinely worship the Lord, it affects the generation that you're in. It affects the generations to come. When they see your heart, when they sense your heart, these children here, they can sense a fake miles away. They know when someone's real. They know when someone loves the Lord. And when you and I are abandoned in our hearts, our, our, our love for him, our, our yieldedness to him, they know that. They see that. The maidservants know that. And we influence others with our worship. And so worship is this core concept of bowing before the Lord and yielding myself to him. And it's a focus just on him alone. And it's a recalling of all that he's done in my life. And ultimately that focus on him enables me to influence the generation around me. That's where I want to be, don't you? That's what I want to do. I want to influence my kids. I want to influence my family to know and love God. I want them to write on my tombstone. My daddy loved God. My daddy served God. I don't care what else they put on there, but that would be the thing that I would want to see. That's the thing I want them to know. How can you respond? When, uh, when I was a boy, my mom was a single mom, and uh, we lived in a, I don't know what the appropriate politically correct word is now, but we lived in a mobile home, trailer, in a trailer park, that's what we called it, in uh, South Texas, outside San Antonio. And I grew up just running the, the, the little shell gravel roads that were all over the place. Everything was dusty, had pin oaks, and just, just a very sketchy place. But I grew up running around all summer in these sketchy places. And um, it got hot in the summer. And we happened to have a, a fence around our, our home and green grass, that was a rare thing. We actually watered it. And, um, and it was so hot, one day my mother came home and she said, Don, I've got something for you and your buddies to try out. And I said, what is it, Mom? And she gave me one of these. A slip and slide. Now, how many of you grew up using a slip and slide? All right. I knew this was an educated group. This was wonderful for a six-year-old, seven-year-old kid. We would take the yellow plastic, we would roll it out on the grass, we would stake the sides down you know, like you're supposed to, hook the hose up to it, and that water would fill up the sides of the, the yellow plastic and would spritz that water up into the air, and it would just glisten in the sunshine and lie land on that yellow plastic just sparkling and it was cool and it was inviting and it was wonderful and we began to slide on it and I would run and throw my body on that yellow plastic and would slide all the way to the end of the plastic my next friend would come he would throw his body on the plastic we would do it individually we would do it in tandem landing on top of each other we would we would go backwards forwards on our heads every possible position you can imagine we would slide spinning all the way down that yellow plastic over and over again each time terminating the experience in a warm brown mud puddle that would always form at the end now 
I'll jump ahead about 20 years. About 20 years later, I'm 27. Not tonight, I'm not 27, but, but then I was 27. My oldest girls uh, were like maybe, I don't know, six and five, five and four, something. They were young, Rachel and Laura. We were living in South Louisiana in Lake Charles, and it was hot. It was so hot. And all you could do was keep the kids inside. It was just too hot to go outside and play. And so I suddenly remembered what my mother had done that one day when I was seven. And so I said, girls, I'll be back. And I drove to the Walmart, and I bought one of these, one of these. And I got it home, and they said, Daddy, Daddy, what's that? I said, it's a slip and slide, girls. They said, what's a slip and slide? I said, let's get it set up. And so I got it out. We rolled the yellow plastic out. We staked the sides down on the plastic, just like when I was a kid. We hooked a hose up to it, that water spritzing through the air, creating little rainbows as it flew through the air and landed on the yellow plastic and glistened there in the sun, so inviting. And I'm having flashbacks. And so the girl said, Daddy, Daddy, what are we going to do with this? I said, I said, hold on, girls, let me show you how it's done. And so I backed up all the way to the driveway, and I ran at the yellow plastic. And as I'm running at the yellow plastic at the age of 27, I'm having all of these wonderful flashbacks to how wonderful it was to, to fall and slide on the slip and slide when I was seven years old. And I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, that I didn't just lie down lamely on the plastic. I went airborne, <laughs> flying through the air thinking how wonderful this is going to be. And then I landed on the plastic. Boom! And I didn't slide. <laughs> and it knocked the wind out of me. Just all of the wind, gone. I could hardly breathe. And my girls are holding their little tummies and they're rolling around in the grass. Daddy, that was great. And I got up and I said, girls, it's kind of like that. <laughs> and they had a great time. They had a great time. Do you know how the Lord wants us to respond to him tonight? Do you know how the Lord wants us to respond to him? Do you know when you go to bed tonight how he wants you to respond to him? When you get up in the morning, how he wants you to respond to him? When you're in the middle of a busy day tomorrow, whether you're at school, at work, and riding a tractor, whatever you do, you know how he wants you to respond to him? Like a seven-year-old boy in South Texas, the Lord wants you to run, and he wants you to throw yourself at his feet. That's what he wants from you. That's what he wants most from you. That's what the devil doesn't want you to do. That's what the Lord Jesus came and died for so that you could know him and you could worship him for all eternity. That's going to be our primary preoccupation. And you say, well, that doesn't sound very exciting. Some of y'all sit in football stadiums for hours. Somebody who doesn't know about football would say, that doesn't sound very exciting. When you're in the presence of a beautiful, majestic, holy, awesome God who is perfect and pure in every way, can you imagine what that will be like? The Bible tries to capture that experience. It cannot adequately, with human language, describe what's going to happen through eternity. And when you and I gather to worship each week, what we call worship, 
you now have the opportunity, you and I do, to join with the voices of heaven and worship him. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior tonight, I want to give the opportunity to do that. We're going to stand and sing. We'll be led by this group that's been up here on the platform. And I want you to look at the words, listen to the words. Make sure you mean the words whenever you sing. But if you need to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible tells us Jesus died on the cross to carry away your sin, all of it. That when you put your trust in Christ and his saving work for you, your sins can be wiped away. They can be canceled. They can be forgiven. But not only that, the Bible tells us that Jesus will send his Holy Spirit to come and indwell you and live inside you, to change you from the inside out. You were never meant to live life on your own just trying to figure it out as best you can. It is the Father's heart to come and live inside you and rule your life, to give you direction, to, to help you find what you were made for and to fulfill the purpose for which you were created. And he'll do that tonight. So if you, you may have questions, I'm sure you do. The pastors and I will be standing down front. When we stand and sing, I want to invite you to come. Whether you're in the balcony or downstairs, I want to invite you to come. Put your trust in Christ tonight. If you just need one of these guys or myself to pray with you tonight, we're here to do that. And you may be carrying a burden. And the Father's called you tonight to take your burden and throw it on him. But sometimes you need help to do that. And we'll be glad to pray with you and help unburden your heart. And so I just praise the Lord for the opportunity we have right now to respond to him, to run and throw ourselves at his feet. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth about what you made us for and what we get to do every day by coming to you in full surrender and just saying, Lord, I want to do it. I want to live for you today. I want you to come into my life, take control, and guide me, change me, use me for your glory. Father, for that dear one that needs to respond to you right now, I pray that your Holy Spirit would encourage them, draw them, embolden them to trust Christ and to follow him. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.